Many are calling it the new atheism. What are they saying, and what do they believe? We get this a lot, that it requires faith Faith to be an atheist. Why need faith to lack a belief? Do you guys realize that our brand of atheism is is merely disbelief, that we we don't claim to know for sure that no God exists, which is what I think that you would be referring to as the faith position? This is Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and Christian apologist Pat Zuckerman. I'm your co-host, Kevin Harris, and today you'll hear part two of our recent appearance on an atheist radio podcast show. I would be curious as to what Pat feels is the best piece of evidence for the life of Jesus Christ outside of the Bible. Pat and I were invited on their broadcast to defend the Christian faith. And believe me, our atheist friends asked some very tough questions. This is a very important issue in our culture today. And we hope you'll be equipped to present and defend your faith in Christ more fully after today's program. And let me remind you that there are outstanding resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism on Pat's website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Quite an exciting adventure, Pat, when you and I had an opportunity to be on an atheist radio our podcast show streaming on the internet that's uh, really been in the media quite a lot. Newsweek magazine has picked up on these guys. They were on ABC's Nightline the other night, LA Times, and so forth. And so this isn't just some isolated website somewhere. These guys have made a lot of headlines with something called the Blasphemy Challenge. Also, uh, they are supporters of a movie called The God Who Wasn't There that we've talked about on this show. And it's a video documentary that alleged Jesus never existed. The Blasphemy challenge is a challenge for mostly young people are responding it's a challenge to videotape yourself blaspheming the holy spirit and thus according to them committing the unpardonable sin and so we've had some correspondence with the guys and they invited us to be on their show to defend our faith in christ and so you and i had that opportunity to be on together what are your thoughts on uh, our interview with them well it was a very difficult interview it wasn't fair and they weren't really being honest on a lot of points uh, first of all, there was five of them, Kevin, and just two of us, so that already put us at a different kind of, uh, put us at a different disadvantage. Well, mostly because it's difficult to get a word in edgewise when there's right. that many people talking. So, and, and that was one of the difficulties. You would make a point, and then they would continue to interrupt. And as soon as you answered their question, they'd interrupt with another question, another question, another question. And though I believe that we show that their arguments to be not strong at all and some to be just outright fallacious. I'm not sure we were ever, ever able, given the opportunity to finish our points and make a clear case. You know, that part was a little difficult for me. I, w- I was hoping that they would give us the courtesy of finishing our points and making our points, but of course we didn't have that. Some other things I learned is that there are no convincing arguments against the historical reliability of the Gospels or the uniqueness of Christ and the resurrection, and that Christianity stands up to the challenges raised by the opponents of the cross. Second, that there is good evidence upon which our faith in Christ rests. Third, although the evidence for Christ may be compelling, as you will witness these highlights of this debate, those who refuse to believe will not honestly weigh the evidence before them. And finally, in the end, I had to realize that It is our job to be prepared and present and defend the truth, but let God and the Holy Spirit deal in the lives of those individuals. And so we just pray and we just hope that the truths that were presented would strengthen the faith of Christians who are listening, but also hopefully it would penetrate those who skeptics who are listening that hopefully they were able to realize that 
wait a minute, there is some compelling evidence and there is good reasons to believe and put your trust in Jesus Christ. These guys would consider themselves part of the new atheism. Now, the media has really coined that term, the new atheism, because there have been some best-selling books uh, at the time of this recording that all deal with atheism. And the new atheism is characterized by uh, being very aggressive, being almost evangelical, evangelistic in your atheism. And a lot of it uh, is because they think that uh, it's taboo to criticize religion. And they want to break that down and say, look, we must criticize religion because of 9-11 and because uh, we're not ever going to get anywhere uh, unless we criticize religion. Of course, they see all religion as false and that they're atheist. They asked us about the resurrection of Jesus and uh, some of the historicity of the resurrection. We talked about four facts that the majority of New Testament scholars agree on. You, you brought up the empty tomb there as if the, the only thing... Okay, the tomb is empty, therefore Jesus must have, you know, risen from the dead. I can think of at least a half a dozen better explanations for why that tomb is empty. Yeah, we can too. Yeah, Yeah. so can we. And that's not the only evidence that I brought up. Uh, Not only that, you've got all the appearances given to multiple disciples. You've got the transformation of disciples who suddenly are willing to run in and live for the rest of their lives under persecution, preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. You've got a massive Jewish societal transformation, thousands of Jews uh, transforming their religious practices. Suddenly, you've got the preaching that begins in Jerusalem. So I'm not just building it on one thing, the empty tomb. Yeah, there, there are several things. Uh, yeah, there, there are several things. I think a, a good study in this for anybody who's listening is to, to look into four facts that the vast majority of biblical critics agree on and that's that's one way now this isn't argumentum ad populum or the appeal to authority it's just uh, it lends weight to the evidence when you see specialists in this field and i'm talking liberals conservatives moderates christian non-christian those who study the new testament they agree on about four basic facts concerning the fate of jesus christ and when you look at those four facts the resurrection, we think, is the most plausible explanation. God raised Jesus from the dead, you know. And and, and while there could be, well, this is a whole thing. This whole thing is up. Which ones? Well, uh, number one, uh, the the vast majority of biblical critics working in the field believe that Jesus received an honorable burial in uh, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And number two, that the tomb was found empty by a group of his women followers. That'd be number two. Number three, that the disciples in various groups and, and individuals at various times and over a period of time experienced appearances of Jesus risen from the dead. And then number four, the disciples, despite every predisposition to the contrary, came to suddenly and sincerely believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, those four facts taken together cry out for an answer and cry out for an explanation. And the resurrection makes the, the most sense unless you're a naturalist and you rule out the supernatural a priori, you rule out God a priori. Uh, can I ask you something really quick? Sure. Uh, do you know who Elvis Presley is? Or was? Yes. Well, he could still be alive. There are people who say he is. That's what I'm getting to. <laughs> 
Sorry. Yeah, I don't but, think that there's any religio historical context around Elvis that would uh, uh, in, is, in any way. Is, lin- is he dead or alive? Uh, he's he's dead, and I think that but there are people that claim he's alive. Sure. Sure, and that claim is not gaining any, any, well, yeah, people, people can believe what is not true. Now, their response to this, Pat, was, yeah, but what about Elvis Presley? Right, they tried to make that parallel, and maybe on the surface that might sound like a good parallel, but once you look into both of the facts in both cases, the analogy quickly breaks down. Yeah, because Elvis, a lot of people claim that he's not actually dead, you know, and right. so on. There was a rumor or a, uh, that uh, Elvis wasn't actually dead, and so they, they brought that issue up. Right, you know, and the facts, uh, when you look at the facts, the analogy quickly breaks down. And, you know, we pointed out the facts. First of all, the gravesite of Elvis is known, and his body is still there. The gravesite of Christ was known, and his and that grave was empty. Also, you still got to account for the transformation of the disciples who would go into Jerusalem and preach the resurrection of Christ, knowing that their message would bring their death or a life of persecution, not only for themselves, but their families and all who would follow in their footsteps. You don't have that with Elvis Presley. You pointed out very clearly, Kevin, that people uh, don't die uh, for the belief of a resurrected Elvis. You know, so all the you just look at the facts and the analogy quickly breaks down. You're basically saying that the testimony of a handful of people is enough to establish something supernatural. That's that it's enough to establish uh, to to overturn the laws of physics as we understand them. And for me, no amount of mere testimony is ever going to be enough to to do that. Yeah, not only do you want to look at the testimony, but you also want to look at the historical circumstances in which the uh, message was preached and in which it occurred. I mean, you're talking that the uh, disciples began preaching the resurrection in Jerusalem, you know, in the face of their enemies uh, who had just crucified Christ just uh, weeks before. Suddenly you've got these transformed disciples going into the city of Jerusalem in the face of their enemies who had crucified Christ, in the city where these events took place, and they are preaching that, hey, you know the guy that you killed? Well, he was doing a bunch of miracles, and he was your Messiah, and he rose from the dead, and the grave is empty. And with that, you don't have any uh, first century work refuting an empty tomb, uh, or that the body was discovered, or things like that. And that, that message would have never lasted had that tomb not been empty and had something miraculous not have taken place, because the preaching Wait. doesn't begin in a foreign land. It begins in Jerusalem okay. in the midst of the eyewitnesses, both pro and looking those looking to stomp out Christianity. They did say one thing about their definition of atheism. Let's listen to this clip uh, where they say that their view does not require faith. Just looking at the website, Rational Response Squad does a real service in that it makes you think about why you believe what you believe. And uh, you guys definitely ask the tough questions. Wow, that's something that we don't normally hear from the Christian yeah, that's quite side. A so thank, thank you. And uh, I feel the same way about you guys in return, actually. Uh, I guess we're kind of a rare breed in that, that, that we want to talk about religion more openly and, and, and more often. Right, we can definitely agree on that. So, okay, you guys are already talking about a rational perspective, and so... Well, let me let me start with the most 
easy or the most hard question, uh, depending on which perspective you're coming from. We don't feel that there is solid evidence for a God, that we're told to believe in God based on faith, and that that's how we should accept Him. How is that, for us, a good way to determine uh, a belief that we should hold? I mean, and just, just take it one step further. You know, if we utilize that faith, I think that we could utilize it to believe anything. So that's why I don't want to want to utilize that faith. But, I mean, why should I be utilizing faith? Do I even need faith? You guys help me out. Yeah, Pat, go ahead and, and, and talk about that a little bit. But I, I will tell you this, that we're already on a real good start here because what we often hear is our atheist friends say there's there's no evidence for God. And that's, that's a pretty big claim. You, you really can't claim that. Obviously, there's, there's evidence for God that theists and atheists consider. But you put it in a way that I think is probably more honest, and that is we don't see any compelling evidence for God. We don't think it's very rational. We think there's a lack of evidence. And But you didn't come out of the chute saying there's no evidence for God. And so I, I think that's cool from the, from the get-go. Pat. Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Buddhist home. When I came to reject the whole worldview of pain, Theism, that the world is an illusion and that uh, there's this impersonal force that pervades all the universe and all these things. And I then became an atheist. However, you know, just uh, from reason, from personal experience, from studying the world around me, from the evidences that we're discovering about our universe, uh, I came to understand that it was reasonable to believe in the existence of a God and that uh, both sides require faith. It requires faith to be an atheist. And it requires faith to be a Christian and believe that God exists. The question is, which side has the greater amount of evidence? And I came from, you know, from reason, from experience, from what I studied in the universe around me, that it's, there's more compelling evidence that you can build a case that a theistic God exists. And then when I began to study the life of Jesus Christ and discover that the Gospels were a very accurate historical record written by first century eyewitnesses, that... Yeah, a very accurate historical biography of the life of Christ, that he lived a very unique life, who had a unique ministry, lived and died and rose again. Uh, that's when I came to believe in Christianity. And so I put my faith based on the evidence, uh, not from just a blind leap in the dark, but from the evidence that I saw. Okay. Okay, there's a lot yeah, there. There's a lot there. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, first that. I want to touch on the one point. We get this a lot, that it requires faith atheist, to be an yeah. atheist. Um well, I think that, that that's just going to boil down to him using the strong atheist definition. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I kind of want to know where we're coming from. Why why I need faith to lack a belief? I mean, you know, do, do I need... No, do we I covered need, that so much. I know. Let's just make what, it quick. I mean, do fact. I need... Do, do you guys realize that our, our brand of atheism is, is merely disbelief, that we... We don't claim to know for sure that no God exists, which is what I think that you would be referring to as the faith position. Pat, what about that? Does atheism require faith? Well, yes, it does. And I thought their attempt to redefine their atheism really didn't work. In fact, they ended up contradicting themselves. You know, they tried to redefine themselves as soft atheists. In other words, they were saying that we lack belief or that there's not enough evidence to believe in God. Well, if you look at their website, that's not what they're promoting. They are promoting disbelief in God. They are promoting atheism and they are asking young people all over to blaspheme God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, over 700 teens have sent in videos of themselves blaspheming God and the Holy Spirit using some vulgar and sometimes crude language. And so these guys are at, they have a belief. 
they are ask and they're asking people to buy into their belief and so they do have beliefs it's not that they lack belief they have beliefs and of course when you get to the bottom line of it you know it is a rejection of god so whether you want to disguise it as soft atheism or hard atheists the bottom line is that an atheist rejects the idea that a god exists and so their attempt to redefine atheism to put themselves in a position to say look our position doesn't require faith it's just a lack of belief and what we want to do is we don't want to state our position because then we'd have to defend it what we want to do is attack everyone else but not have to defend our position but they definitely have a belief and they're definitely uh, advocating their belief and asking others to join it and it does take faith to be an atheist because the evidence out there points to the fact that we do live in a theistic universe and God has intervened in time and space specifically in the person of Jesus Christ you know these guys are trying really hard to prove that Jesus is not historical that he's just a myth or that he never existed we spent a lot of time on that in this particular interview with these guys and um, that led to a lot of talk about the Gospel of Thomas they claim that the Gospel of Thomas is first century maybe very early and shouldn't have been left out of the canon and and so forth what was your response to that? There are few scholars who claim that the Gospel of Thomas is written as early as 50 AD. And I think Rook in this debate was saying that the Gospels, uh, uh, the Gospel of Thomas is written about 50 AD and that the New Testament writers get their uh, ideas from the Gospel of Thomas. And of course, the weight of the evidence totally goes against him for several reasons. I mean, the, the one that I was able to mention there was Marcion's canon, you know, Marcion wrote the heretical canon, he included the Gospel of Luke and several of Paul's epistles. Now, Marcion had many Gnostic beliefs, and he even rewrote many of those books to accommodate his Gnostic beliefs. Well, the Gospel of Thomas is clearly a Gnostic work, and Marcion putting, you know, writing his canon in 140 AD doesn't quote the Gospel of Thomas, nor does he include it in his New Testament canon, which would have been absolutely advantageous, and he does not. Why? Because that gospel is not around. Not only that, the Gospel of Thomas quotes many New Testament books, including 1 John and the book of Revelation. Therefore, we're arguing a late 2nd century date because he has access to so many New Testament books. Early 1st century writers wouldn't have had access to those many New Testament books. And also, you know, a point that I wasn't able to make is that where the Gospel of Thomas deviates from the Greek New Testament, you can see that he's depending on a Syriac translation of the New Testament, the Diatessaron by Tatian. And his translation, or the Gospel of Thomas, is, is in conformity to the Diatessaron. The Diatessaron is not completed till 170 AD. So all those arguments go against the Gospel of Thomas. And also, a point that we brought up, Kevin, is that this is a Gnostic work. The refashioning of Jesus into a Gnostic Jesus occurs in the late 2nd century as the Gnostics see the popularity of Christianity developing, and so they try to get on the Christian wave and try to refashion Jesus in their image. And if you read verse 114 of the Gospel of Thomas, the apostles are arguing and telling Jesus, Make Mary leave us, for women don't deserve eternal life. And Jesus says, Well, I'll make her into a man, so every woman that makes herself into a man can have can enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, this whole idea of the impurity of women, that's clearly Gnostic, as you articulated there. 
And it goes against what the New Testament teaches. And so really the Gospel of Thomas doesn't present any historical value. It's a late second century date. So the argument of trying to say that these predate the Gospels and the New Testament writers got their ideas from the Gospel of Thomas really is not a good argument. And I think they knew it uh, once uh, we went through just a few of the facts there. Kevin, you know, this was a pretty pretty hostile audience. And I thought... you know, you handled it very well. You know, you're very gracious with them, much more patience than many of us would be. And we don't hate them or anything. You know, we enjoy dialoguing with those who may disagree with us. But when we come across maybe some kind of hostile encounter, what are some principles that you remember and apply and that we can apply when we encounter those who would disagree with us and often be quite hostile in their approach? Be firm, but be polite, and don't lose your temper. I think that that is very important because these discussions can be very emotional. First Peter 3.15 tells us not only to give an answer for anyone who asks us about the hope that we have in Jesus, but to do so with gentleness and reverence. Because when they get away from you later and they're, not, they're no longer in the heat of the debate, That's the time that I think the Holy Spirit can work on them and perhaps use what you said earlier. And so we started out this interview with them being complimentary and uh, saying that we're all here to look for truth and so on. But there were also times I think that uh, we were firm with them, firm but fair and polite. And you know, Kevin, some people out there listening may say, why, why do you guys debate these um, atheists? Why, why do you do this? You're just wasting time. What would you say to them? I would say, first of all, even if they never come to faith in Christ because of our persuasive arguments or, or anything like that, this was a radio show and an internet podcast, and there are seekers who, who will listen. And there are people who might be on the fence as to Jesus. And there may be some people who have some intellectual roadblocks to faith in Christ. And we were able to address many of those roadblocks and and knock them down. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 says for us to do that, to tear down arguments that present themselves against God. So we, we went after their arguments. We didn't go after them. We tear down arguments. We don't tear down people. Yeah, and also another good thing, Kevin, it was an educational experience for us. I mean, we were able to see, uh, learn some things because we were asked questions we had never been asked before and do some research uh, on and, or strengthen the positions that we had uh, as they were asking questions from different angles. So when it was you, educational for us as well. When you share your faith, it flushes out what you don't know sometime, or perhaps what you forgot. When they brought up the Quirinius problem in Luke 2, 2, it's been years since I looked at that, and uh, and so I was a little bit awkward, even though I was able to give a little bit uh, of the problem there. Uh, it made me realize that I need to go back up and, uh, and bone back up on that. So it's a great learning experience for Christians as well. Get off the bench and get on the field. That's where the action is, and God will use your availability 
and not just your ability. Now, study to show yourself approved and be equipped. And the more effective, the more you know, the more effective you can be. But uh, allow God to use you where you are and, uh, and to do so in love. You don't have to have a Ph.D. to be a witness for Christ. Pat, the bottom line is that people who claim that Jesus was just a myth or that he didn't even exist in history, they just don't have a good case. Right. And, uh, you know, that view really is not accepted in the academic world. It's gained popularity in, you know, among the popular public. But in the academic world, that, uh, that view doesn't go very far at all. It's still something to, to be dealt with because it's all over the Internet. And uh, your kids, my kids, and everybody's kids are, are, are going to run into that. And they need to have an answer. Right, and I hope one of the things that people learned is that really there really is no good argument against the historical reliability of the Gospels or the life of Jesus Christ or the resurrection of Christ. You know, Christianity stands up to the challenges that are thrown against it. And there is good reason to believe and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Well, I hope you've heard the importance of today's program. This atheist group has received extensive media coverage and Pat Zucharin is on the front lines engaging those who work to convince people that the claims of Christ are false. Keep Pat speaking out, countering the claims of atheism by supporting Evidence and Answers with your prayers and financial gifts. Your prayer and giving helps to keep Pat on the air. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and click on Make a Donation and browse the multitude of professional resources available there. That's evidenceandanswers.org, evidenceandanswers.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.